0: verses 10 to 18. It can be found in your blue Bibles on page 1227. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth.
1: Let's just pray as we come to look at the word. Father, give me true words. Help people have discerning minds. And yet, Lord, give us all soft hearts by your spirit to hear your word and to obey. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we know two families. Uh, they both live in Maroubra. As you know, the story I'm telling you is uh, their kids are about our age. So just go back about 10 years and the story will make a lot more sense. One family has three boys. They live down near the beach. These boys love to go surfing. They love to ride skateboards. They love sport. They love rambling around the rocks and jumping in a marne pool just below their house. The other family has two girls. They live up near the junction. The girls love playing the piano or the flute. They, enjoy, they study a lot. They like shopping with their friends. Maybe going to Oliver Brown having a hot chocolate, if you saw one of the boys playing the cello, you'd go, "What?" If you saw one of the girls down at Maruba Beach with a bikini and a surfboard under her arm, you'd say, "Whoa It just doesn't fit. it's incongruous. Like they can do that. The girls could go to the beach and go surfing. And the boys could play the cello, but it just doesn't quite fit with what you know of their families. They're different families. We're in a series in John's letter, first letter. And this part we're looking at in the middle where I'm titling Children of God, because that's the big emphasis of this section. That's what you are if you're a believer. You're a child of God. You've been given new birth into a new family through faith in Jesus, the sinless one who has cleansed you from sin. And so you're supposed to show the family likeness, the characteristics. Therefore, as John says, children of God must not continue in sin because it's incongruous. It just what? It doesn't fit. In fact, if you look at verse 10, the first verse in our reading, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. So there's two families here. There are the children of God and there are the children of the devil. One family is made righteous by being united with Jesus Christ in his righteousness. The other family is unrighteous. They are children of the devil under his power in his slavery. Two families. And now both these family members can act the other way. The children of the devil can be righteous in some acts. The children of God can be unrighteous. In some, but it just—it it doesn't fit. It's incongruous when you see that. And you should be able to look at their lives and you should be able to see the difference. Now in his letter, John equates virtually equates righteousness with love. He says twice, God is love. God is righteous, God is love. In five five brief chapters, the word love appears almost 50 times. And the passage we're looking at today is the second time the topic of love is addressed specifically. And this time around, John uses two characters to help Show us what love is like. In fact, really, it's a kind of love story we're looking at today. But it's not your usual love story because these two people in our love story are complete opposites. You think, "My, that's not unusual. You know, you've got the opposites attract love story. But these opposites don't attract. In fact, quite the contrary. Because this is a love story in black and white. John draws stark contrasts. There is no shades of grey. There is no colour. It's just black and white. There are the children of God and the children of the devil. There is love and there is hatred. There is life and there is death. There is self-sacrifice and there is murder. There is light and darkness. There is black and white. John says there in verse 11, this is the message you heard from the beginning, we should love one another. Throughout John's letter, if you've been keeping up with it at all, if you go and read it again, you'll discover that what we have heard from the beginning is a really important matter. It's a big issue. Because it would seem that within the churches that John is writing to, teachers have arisen. Teachers within the church have come up And they're offering a better way to know God. A spiritual way, like a really truly spiritual way. Where they have secret knowledge or special techniques that you can follow which will get you really, really, really into the middle of the throne room of the spiritual truths. They can shine the light and reveal everything that you need to know. And the message of salvation that the people first heard from the apostles, that Jesus is Lord, come in the flesh, the Messiah. Well, that's being challenged. So as John writes this letter, he keeps telling them, this is the message you heard at the beginning. In fact, here's how his letter starts. That which was from the beginning, which we, that is the apostles, have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, we have looked at and our hands have touched This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it, and we testify it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. The message about Jesus, which John says, I saw him. I was there. Down in verse 5 of that chapter, this is the message we have heard from him and declared to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Verse 7, and if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. This is the message about Jesus who died for our sins from the beginning. Again, in chapter 2, verse 7, Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Stick with the message of Jesus, not what these new teachers are saying. And then after warning them about Antichrist, who will come and that deny that Jesus is the Messiah, come in the flesh. John writes in chapter 2, verse 24, See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, If it does, you will also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he has promised us, even eternal life. So this is important stuff. At the beginning, you heard from the apostles the gospel by which you are saved. Do not depart from it. Do not be led astray by these new teachers, offering you a better way. In chapter 3, where we are today, he is back to the same old theme, banging the drum, verse 11. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Can you see, though, this time the message is referred to not in terms of content of what you believe, but in terms of how you behave. Sometimes in our society we promote this idea that what you believe has no impact on how you behave. So let me give you an example. I believe that it's okay, I may not say it quite in these words, but it's okay to objectify women. It's okay just to look and to lust. It's okay for me to have my bit of porn on the side because it doesn't affect how I treat my wife or other women. It's okay. It's just my eye candy. The Bible says that's garbage. It's okay to take God out of the picture. Have no fear of God in our eyes. Because we're just all random creations. random, random meaningless events. But we're trying to find meaning in our meaningless world. And to imagine that that doesn't impact our behaviour put ourselves at the centre of the universe and masters of selfishness. Communism's put a lie to that. Take God out of the equation, everybody becomes selfish. There's no fear of God. You cannot separate what you believe from how you behave. In fact, fundamentally, what you believe to be true is what will impact your behaviour. So just as what we believe is either false or true... So how we behave, our conduct that flows from our beliefs is either false or true. It's either in corresponds with reality or it doesn't. Now what was it that the apostles taught them at the beginning as they brought them the gospel regarding their behavior? This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Pretty simple message. The person who puts their faith in Jesus, who becomes a child of God, must be characterized by love. It's the family characteristic for the children of God. In in the New Testament, love is the preeminent Christian virtue. It's the first fruit of the Spirit. It's the greatest of the three abiding graces, faith, hope, love, and the greatest of these is love. It's the sum of the greatest command. But what is it? What is love? Well, John's telling us what love is and he does it by contrasting two characters, black and white. The first one we meet is black. And we go right back to the beginning of the story of the Bible. And we meet a man not of love but of hate. Verse 12. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Cain was the first natural born man after the fall. He was the eldest son of Adam and Eve. He had a younger brother named Abel. Cain worked the ground while Abel kept flocks. He was a pastoralist, a grazier. You can imagine these boys, both farmers, sitting in the paddock, chewing on a grass stalk, after a hard day's work, sharing their tales. But in fact, these two boys, well, their relationship was torn apart by jealousy and pride and envy. See, in the course of time, they both bought an offering to the Lord. Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil, because he worked the soil. Abel bought fat portions from the firstborn of his flock. Cain bought some of, Abel bought the best of what he had. And the Lord accepted Abel's offering and rejected Cain's offering, we're told. In fact, Hebrews eleven tells us that by faith Abel offered a better sacrifice, because he brought his best to the Lord and trusted the Lord with his best. The small letter of Jude in verse eleven tells us that Cain suggests that Cain was willfully disobedient. God did not accept his sacrifice, for it was offered not by trusting in God, but by not trusting in God. The difference between Cain and Abel is the difference between faith, trusting in God, and duty. I must. It's the difference between worship, I love you, Lord, and religion. I guess I must. Yet God responded to Cain not with condemnation, but with an offer of restoration. So we read in Genesis 4, verse 6. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry with me? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will, not your, will, not, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. How did Cain respond to that offer? Cain responded with sin. He rejected God. He resented God. He resented the offer of restoration. How dare you prefer his to mine? He resented God's rule, God's demand. So rather than seeking to master the sin that was crouching at his door, he gave way to it. He chose to become subject to sin, a child of the devil. He didn't just ignore God and get on with his life, nor was he just angry with God. Cain actively opposed the Lord. His anger and hatred for God was soon directed towards Anger and hatred to those who obey God. Now, there weren't many people to choose from. Genesis 4 verse 8. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Cain's hatred and resentment and rebellion against God was directed against Cain simply because he had been faithful and his offering had been accepted by God. And so it's been since the beginning. Those who reject God oppose those who seek to obey him and worship him. Cain didn't murder his brother Abel because he did did anything to offend him. Abel was killed because his righteousness stood out Like black and white in contrast to Cain's self-serving nature. And Cain, well, he is the prototype of the world. In many ways, he is our father. He is like us, opposed to God in sin, wanting to go our own way, resenting God's rule. Let me give you another example from the life of Jesus. Again, two families. It's from John chapter 8. There's a debate between Jesus and Jews who were following him, who were wanting to get out of him because he was a great miracle worker, benefit from his ministry. They believed, because they were Abraham's descendants, that they were righteous. Because they were Jews. They were righteous. And Jesus, however, told them otherwise. In chapter 8, verse 37, Jesus says to them... (coughs) I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me, because you have no room for my word, says the Son of God. I am telling you what I have seen in the, in the Father's presence, in other words, in my Father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your Father. Abraham is our Father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do the things Abraham did. And Abraham lived by faith. As it is, you are determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your own father does. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Such righteous people. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and now am here, but I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are not able to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, He speaks his native language, for he is the liar and the father of lies. I don't know if you can see the comparison there. They sort of wanted to follow Jesus, but they didn't want God's rule. They didn't want to live by faith. They didn't want God's righteousness. And just like their father, because we're talking about two families here, they are murderers. Not long from this moment, they will be shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Like Cain their father, they sought the death of the righteous one who was approved of God and they killed him. Children of God, children of the devil. We still live in a world where people hate the people of God. Christians are persecuted all over the Middle East. In Indonesia, certainly in some parts more than others. In India, in some parts more than others. In China, some parts more than in others. Desperately in places like North Korea. Even in our nation, we are ridiculed. We are threatened whenever we try to take a stand for righteousness or marginalised in the media. And I believe that's because we are a threat to those who think they control the destiny of our nation. The way of Cain. Well, if Cain hates you, here's what John says. Verse 13, do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. Now contrast Cain with the new birth family. We know that we have passed from death to life. We've been taken out of the Cain family. We know that we've been passed from death to life because we love our brothers Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. Can you see how black and white everything is? Black is death. Black will face the judgment of God. Cain is present. Cain is fearful. Cain is dangerous. But Cain does not win. He does not prevail in the end. Well, here's our love story. And let's face it, there hasn't been a lot of love so far, has there? But there is a second character in our story. John shows us what love is not through Cain. And then he shows us what love is in verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Cain is a warning. Don't be like Cain. Jesus is a light that shines the path and says, Follow me. Live my way. Jesus is white. And this is the ultimate love story. Jesus Christ laid down his life so that we might live as children of God. He did it for us in love. So then why, you might be thinking this, you may not, but I'm going to, why call this a love story in black and white? Wouldn't it be better to say this is a love story in white and a hate story in black? Well, here is the wonder of the message, the wonder of Jesus. It is a love story in black and white because we are by nature rebels. We follow in the footsteps of Cain. We are black. Yet Jesus loved us. He loved you. He loved you so much that he gave his life so that you might be reconciled with God the Father, a child of God. The loved, filled, lovely one gave himself for the hate-filled, sin-stained, unlovely ones who crucified him. He who loved with infinite love, gave himself for those who knew nothing of love but were children of the devil. Jesus' love is a love of stark contrast because the white is so white when the darkness is so deep. Hatred, that is Cain, seeks the other person's harm even to the point of taking life. That's what we did to Jesus. Love seeks the other person's good even to the point of surrendering one's own life. Can you see the love story of Cain and Christ is a love story in black and white, where the white loved even the black to bring the black into white. Completely undeserved. So if you've been called from black to white How much must that change how you live? We, it says, ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Jesus' love needs to flow through us. The essence of love is self-sacrifice. We've just had Anzac Day 100 years since the Gallipoli landing. Now, war is complex, but as Daniel's already said, the great thing about Anzac Day is remember sacrifice people giving themselves for others, for what they felt was a good cause. So please don't tell me you love someone unless it involves a measure of sacrifice. Oh, this person makes me feel so good. I I love Justin Bieber. I love that person. Don't tell me about it. If all you're getting something in return and it makes you feel good, It's not all about you. Love is not at all about you. So who have you laid down your life for lately? Seriously, friends. What cost has there been in your love? Parents of young children, they do it all the time, of three-month-olds. That's their life. He said, Oh I'm so tired, oh I'm so tired, let's stay asleep. Because oh. they hate getting up in the middle of the night selflessly. But it's love. It's pure love. It gets a lot harder when you're married though, doesn't it? Because don't I want something in return? I deserve a bit back. Because this is not a three-month-old child anymore. It's not fair. You know, true love keeps no tally. does not expect something back. God expects us to love without self-interest. This is love. So I again ask, what sacrifices have you been making? of finances, of time, of comfort. It's not easy to love when it impacts our bank accounts, is it? Or our diary. It changes how we think about love, but it should be normal. But you know, today I want to challenge you about something far greater, that you should consider sacrificing. Something that I suspect, I know, something that is far more precious to you than your money or your time or your comfort. It's the one thing Cain was not prepared to sacrifice and offer to God. That is, will you sacrifice your pride in love for others? Okay, let's run some relationships through our head like a slot machine. Not long before it stops, is it? Oh, I couldn't do that, not for that person. I couldn't sacrifice my pride in love for that person. If anyone had reason to be proud, it was our Lord. He could do anything. <laughs> he had everything he needed. He was King of kings, Lord of lords, and yet he gave his life as we spat in his face. How's that for humility? He humbled himself even to the point of death, even death on a cross. That is white. That is love. And I hope you're confronted. And What are you sacrificing your pride for? What do you need to sacrifice your pride for? I hope you think it's unreasonable. I hope you even say to yourself, I could not do that because that is our model. We ought to lay down our lives for each other. As is a love story in black and white. And God forbid that pride should get in the way of your love because pride is of the devil. It is what led Cain to kill his brother. It is the essence of black. And it's the one thing that you and I are least willing to surrender in our efforts to love. You may well have great fantasies, like I do, of how you could lay down your life for your brother. If I was at Gallipoli, throw myself on that grenade. If I was on the Titanic, you hop in the lifeboat first. the things I do for my family. It's easy to imagine such such acts of self-sacrifice, but they are very rarely tested, at least in our world, our country. country. Instead, we are probably content to commend the love and sacrifices that we make. You know, I give to World Vision every year. I get up at night for the kids and she doesn't get up. I visit my crotchety yard at least every six months. It's not easy. I hate it. Now that is love. I agree, all those things are love. But before you get too self-congratulatory, compare it to the love of Jesus. The love displayed on the cross was not something to assuage guilt. The love of the cross actively transformed everything. And our love must not be token gestures in remarkable situations. It must be transformational and expressed each and every day when we don't keep tally. Keep me in your will, Aunt Mildred, because I visited you last month. Love is always grounded in present reality. Look at verse 17. If you've got your Bibles open... If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue but with actions and in truth. See, just as sin is pervasive and leads to death and destruction, so love must be pervasive, leading to life and hope and peace. And it's easy, you know how easy it is to love with words, to express sympathy, to say, I'll pray for you, to exhort and to encourage... Genuine love, a genuine love story, must be an action movie. It's not enough to say, I'm a bit lost and you're a bit lost and we like each other and we talk and troubles happen, but we get together anyway. What a beautiful love story. No, no, no. There's got to be action. Because love is not sentiment. It's not talk. It is deed. Have you noticed how much hate and rage, whether received or given, can be very in your face? You know the object of your hate and your rage, and you want to do something about it, and so you plot and you plan and scheme. How much more should love be in your face? You know the object of your love. You know you want to do something about it. So you plot and you plan and you scheme. And if you see your brother in need and have material possessions and you don't do something about it, how can God's love be in you? How? I've just presented to you this morning the situation of baby miracle. I know there are perhaps thousands of baby miracles in desperate need around our world. But if you see your brother or sister in need and you don't do something about it, how can the love of God be in you? James, in his little letter, writes about true faith, the faith of true Christian people. I didn't bookmark very well this morning, did I? I thought, oh, I've only got one reference. I didn't look at my notes very well. James chapter two verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such say faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If any one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, because love is an action movie, is dead. Someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. Paul tells the Galatians, the only thing that counts, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So there you have it. That's our love story in black and white. But our love story doesn't, end with these two main characters Cain and the Lord Jesus because the love story embraces every one of us we're caught up in the plot line and there are no shades of grey it's a love story in black and white there is only darkness and death or vibrant colour and life and light so I have to ask, we all have to ask where, where are you on the plot line where are you on the plot line, where's your pride Where's your wallet? Where's your time? Where are your relationships? It is not possible to choose a side. I choose white. And to remain on the sidelines. To use the movie analogy, no point auditioning for the part. I choose white. I put on the clothes and people try and do this. I choose white. I put on the clothes and then I try and sit out behind the director's chair and not get involved in the action. You can't do it. You've got to play your part. And only on Jesus' side is there light. John says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. You need to play your part. It's not negotiable. You must be out there sacrificing your pride, sacrificing your finances, your time and your energy with no concern for self-interest to serve others and to give. And if you choose the part of Cain, you choose hatred and death and pain. It's got nothing to recommend it. And it should not be evident amongst God's people. It's totally incongruous. Love must characterize God's children. It must characterize our church. If we have any shred of insincerity. The point is obvious. Verse 11, this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Have you heard John's message? The apostolic message of the gospel. This is the message we heard from the beginning. We must love one another. Verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. This is the message we heard from the beginning. This is the apostolic word. It's the message for our church. It's a message for you and your relationships. It's a message for me and my relationships. Put off pride, lay aside hatred, sacrifice for others and love as Jesus loved. Let me pray. Father God, help us to embrace the message that we heard when we first embraced the gospel. And love one another. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.